Welcome to the Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to feature my recent conversation with Elizabeth Blankenship. Elizabeth is a first-year student in our full-time MBA class of 2022, and she is also a founder. We invited Elizabeth on the podcast to talk more about her MBA journey, what led her to Darden, as well as her idea, all based around sustainable fashion. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Elizabeth Blankenship. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, How are you doing, first and foremost? I'm well. Um, I am in the middle or end almost of Q2. So uh, a little busy right now working on um, our, my startup as well. So having a lot of fun, big darting crash course, uh, walking through the fire right now, as they say. Now, I have to ask, we've been asking all of our guests here on the admissions podcast, have you picked up any hobbies or anything that you've been doing? Uh, just kind of fill your, your downtime here in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I did. I actually took up um, some ceramics. Um, so I was making a lot of vases and candlesticks, um, some little like salt dishes, some fun stuff like that, that, that came to a, a little bit of a pause now, now that I'm in core, um, but definitely want to pick that back up soon. Have you always been an artistic person? Have you always done something creative? I have, I have been. So I was, um, I was mainly into painting growing up. Um, I actually wanted to be an artist of some sort. Um, that led me to fashion design because um, I love sketching and drawing and, and all types of like the visual arts. Um, yeah, so always trying to do something a little creative, even if it isn't my main um, work every day. Um, and like creative writing as well. Anything kind of uh, creation based is kind of what keeps me going. Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your background. So we're starting to get a feel for who you are. Uh, but tell us your story. Um, what did you do before coming to Darden? Yes. So I was the design and development manager at a luxury women's wear brand called Proenza Schooler, uh, based in New York. I had been there for six and a half years. Um, I I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology um, to get my bachelor's. And then I did the graduate program at Central St. Martin's in London, also in fashion design. So come from a very creative background, um, a little bit more unusual, maybe within the business school uh, makeup of, of, uh, students and careers, but, um, had a great time working at Proenza was, um, kind of going through a couple different parts of the brand. I developed and produced like a denim collection, a lot of tie dye. That's like my specialty, um, and, uh, silks and separates and, and all that kind of fun women's wear type clothing. Can we talk tie dye for a second? Cause it feels like yeah. tie dye has had a moment. Like it's come back. It was for a long time, maybe like an arts and crafts project you do as a young student at school. You'd make a tie-dye t-shirt or maybe if you were a big dead fan or kind of into those kind of bands, maybe you wore some tie-dye. But like tie-dye feels like it's experiencing a renaissance. Oh, it absolutely is. And we, Proenza, played like a pretty big part in that, not to, to take the responsibility for myself. But um, so, yeah, so it was kind of started maybe like three years ago we started like some development. We're like a lot of us at Proenza are former deadheads for sure. 
um, some research, met an artisan in LA that had worked with the brand previously years before that runs like a family owned business in LA, does everything by hand, super specialized um, and started working with them and creating like really uh, like complex tie dyes, which are really fun. And that kind of took off and it's kind of spread from there. And then of course it was like the absolute perfect and fun uh, lockdown activities that people could do at home and kind of experiment with. I know I did it with my two young nieces um, in the fall and even, you know, them at two years old could see how fun it was that they got to wear something they were creating. Well, former deadhead or current deadhead? I have oh, to ask. Well, current, of course. <laughs> <laughs> also a band that has gone through like a real arc like for a long time people were like oh I don't know you know because they went through the sort of commercialized period in the 90s and now people are coming back to them and saying like you know who's really interesting the Grateful Dead of course they've got the Amazon documentary out there it's amazing their sort of arc here and, and they're back it feels like oh yeah they're definitely back it's kind of funny because I know like people in my generation like my introduction to them was through the Beanie Baby, the Jerry Beanie Baby. So I feel like I've like known them for forever, but it, it took a while to rediscover kind of as a, I don't know, teenager and young adult and kind of get really into it. Thank you for the musical digression. I don't always get to talk <laughs> music here. So um, how did you decide, you mentioned given your background, maybe a little bit different to choose to pursue an MBA. How did you say that this is ultimately what I'd like to do? Yeah, it wasn't something I was planning for or expecting. As I kind of mentioned briefly before, I had already gone to graduate school um, directly from undergrad. So I was definitely not thinking of, of another degree. But um, actually, around this time last year, last April, my oldest brother called me um, and was like, you have, to, you, you have to look at this. I think there's an opportunity here. And I think that you would be a great, you would, you would learn so much and grow so much as a person by, by pursuing an MBA. Um, it is something that several of my siblings and cousins have done. So it wasn't that unusual. And I think he knew that, that I was kind of stagnating in a, um, in a way where I was very comfortable in my career. And he told me basically like, uh, I, I wish I remembered who, who said this originally, but comfort is the death of ambition. And I was, I was so happy and I was so comfortable, but I had kind of been yearning for a little bit more. So it was originally, you know, honestly, my brother's idea. And I kind of wrote it off. And then as I started to explore schools and look into Darden, there was just something that kept eating at me. And it was nearing the deadline, to be honest, of last, of last year, of round three, the extended. And I hadn't made a move. And I just stayed up all night one night thinking, you know, I can't let this opportunity pass me by. Um, and so through, through my hat in the ring, and I'm so, so thankful that I did and, and that he gave me that call. Well, it's always interesting to hear people's MBA journeys because sometimes it is a conversation or they have that moment uh, where somebody said something and you're like, you know what, maybe I should do this. And it's always great to have people on the podcast and tell that story, because those kinds of stories, because I feel like you know, is as different as people's journeys are, there are so many points of commonality when you think about it. So people making the decision to go, go back to school. And so one of the things that's interesting about you is you're a member of Section J. Now we have talked about Section J here on the podcast with Lauren Wallace. Uh, she came on the podcast to talk about all the work that she did with your, your cohort. 
Uh, and it was fun to hear her perspective. But you're the first Section J member to join us here on the podcast. Well, we're so excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit more about, for our new listeners, what Section J is. Yeah. Um, and how's it going? Honored, honored to represent um, and love Lauren. I mean, she is like our support system entirely. She's been amazing. Um, yeah, so Section J. So we just started our first year of Darden this January, which means we are doing the entire first year in about six months, maybe a little bit less than six months, depending. Um, and it is a high speed uh, run through the entire core um, and it's just like an accelerated, uh, accelerated way of doing it. But it, it was a, um, a function of the pandemic, of course. We, we all came into this um, maybe from different perspectives. Some people weren't able to get here, I believe, by the fall um, or needed to work a little bit longer like me. And they created this section. There are only 51 of us. Um, so it's a little bit smaller than normal. And we are uh, very tight knit. Uh, and kind of going through um, the educational experience um, together a little bit separately than, than the rest of the, the class, but we will integrate and all become one by second year. Well, I appreciate your you know, sharing that insight. I'm not surprised to hear that you're tight-knit, um, not unusual for a Darden section, but I'm sure being on your own path and your journey together, I mean, you are part of the first year class. Um, but nevertheless, you know, you, you have a shared experience and this is a one-off thing. This is a January section and it was offered, as you mentioned, to create flexibility for students in the in sort of face of the pandemic. We had international students who had uncertainty around visas and their ability to matriculate and just really trying to be as flexible as we could as a school. So I'm glad to hear that things are going well. No doubt has made for a busy start uh, to your, your 2021, I, I'm, I'm sure busy but but really fun honestly it's been a it's been a great experience so far we are already i almost halfway through uh which is hard to believe the inspiration for inviting you here on the podcast elizabeth as you know is the uva entrepreneurship cup or what's called the e-cup we've been catching up with some of the recent winners here at the darden school uh, you were one of those winners um in the recent stage of the e-cup uh, so tell us a little bit more about your venture your idea Yes, that was a, a huge honor. Um, so my venture is called Cotone, uh, and it is a sustainable fashion brand um, focusing primarily on women's wear, women's clothing right now. So we are creating a line made entirely of existing textiles. Um, there's just like rampant wastage within the fashion industry and particularly in the production process, um, which I saw firsthand working and producing um, for many years before this and was just inspired to make a change and, and saw this opportunity to kind of utilize these forgotten leftover discarded materials, which would otherwise be going to landfills um, or the incinerator. So it is quite common when brands um, overproduce just to, to incinerate um, the materials. And once I saw that, I, I knew I wanted to do something about it. Um, so we are actually in our first development now um, of three styles, which should hopefully launch on our website by the end of next month. Wow. So is this an idea you had before business school? Is this something you came to business school with the express idea of like, I'm going to develop this while I'm here? Yes, I should. I, I should have mentioned this when I was uh, deciding if I was going to pursue my MBA is I had this idea last year 
And I knew that I could do the creative side. I knew how to produce a, a, a collection, but because I, I feel so strongly about um, like environmental sustainability, but also the um, economic su sustainability of the people working on my clothing, I wanted like a background and foundation to make the company as successful, set it up correctly, make it as successful as possible. So I came into Darden with this intention. Um, I did make that clear um, that it was going to be my focus. And um, Darden totally embraced me from the beginning and has been working to help accelerate this to make it real, um, basically since, since I got in last summer. It's such an interesting idea. I mean, most of us I think we kind of have some idea about the fashion world. I mean, advent of fast fashion, sort of much more disposable uh, wear that people have kind of embraced recently. Um, but it just, it feels vast in a certain way. You can go everywhere from like sort of, you know, inexpensive sort of everyday wear to like couture. And so how do you decide where you want to fit into that spectrum? That's a great question. I had been working in luxury before. We had dabbled in couture a bit. I had been making some dresses for um, events like the Met Gala or Grammys and stuff like that. Um, and that is where I feel comfortable because it's a more artistic and creative side to it. But I think once I started working on customer acquisition and, and serving and interviewing potential customers, I really found that what people care about is sort of being, you know, being able to replace what they might have bought from a fast fashion retailer with a sustainable option. So we've kind of found a middle ground, which is something called contemporary fashion, um, which is a little bit more affordable, but still has that kind of creative, um, innovative side to it. That is interesting. So contemporary fashion, I'm learning, learning new things here. How do you do your market research? How do you figure out what customers are looking for? Because it feels like there's an infinite number of people out there buying clothes. It's true. That's, that's been a challenge. Um, I, I did a lot of um, library research, uh, of course, before to get started. And there are amazing reports, which are put out every year by McKinsey, um, which are incredibly helpful. But I think what the the biggest change came when I started speaking directly to potential customers. And um, that was through like surveys from, you know, sent it to 10 friends, they sent it to 10 and it, it um, grew from there. And then um, speaking directly to some of the people who had responded and, you know, we were going after a bit of a younger customer. So we started with Gen Z and millennial. Um, and I think within those conversations that began to shape our, marketing plan and change actually even the products which we were um, going to offer once we got the, that real customer feedback. Interesting. So um, getting started with this fashion line, uh, is that customer feedback helpful to you as you think about what products to offer initially? It is. You know, working at a larger company, you're, you're pretty far removed. There are so many layers between you and we would get, we would have like a design and sales team meeting or something and get kind of like not even third hand, fifth, sixth, seventh hand uh, information back. And um, this going directly and speaking directly to a consumer um, has changed for sure the product that we were offering, but like the language we were using and um, the way in which we were describing things perhaps to, to be um, 
more tailored to, to what they, the hole in their closet they were looking to fill. It's interesting thinking about uh, fabrics that may otherwise be discarded. Uh, how do you find these? Is it easy to find fabrics that are going to be discarded? Is there a marketplace for this sort of thing? I ask this as a layperson that doesn't know a ton about this world. There, there's not a large like third marketplace for that right now. Um, so it's we've been going directly to the mills and some of the actual other brands. Um, part of the like fashion production cycle is that brands have to project how much they're going to sell before they go to market. This is part of like the wholesale model. Um, and they begin the, the weaving of the textiles way in advance. And so those fabrics usually still live at the mill level. So we went directly to the mills um, and some of the older mills that I had been in contact with before for my previous career. Some of the older mills are the ones that have like the largest back archive. Um, so that, that's where we started. Wow. All right. So you, you get you get the fabrics. What influences your aesthetic? Um, are you thinking about something? Uh, you mentioned this sort of artistic element, right? You enjoy the design component. Are, are you thinking about something that's now that's maybe influenced by more of a sort of historical scope? Like how do you how do you set the look and feel of your brand? Yeah, it's so to to get away from trends, because what we're trying to do is create something long lasting that would be of value to you, um, kind of a go-to piece maybe for, for years to come. I kind of have dug deep into like art and, and music. So I usually, um, in pre-COVID times, would go to a gallery opening, to a museum, get out there, see what's going on in the world, look at how people on the street are putting things together. What are they wearing? Um, the real use of, of clothing. And then I kind of get back into my studio blast music and pull all of those images up on my, my computer and, and kind of just start sketching. So it can, you know, it can go pretty far and you can, you can um, start to discover things that you wouldn't have seen, you might not have seen before um, just by kind of like letting go of that and thinking more of it um, artistically than, than literally. A pair of pants is a pair of pants, but it's all about the details that, that you that you craft. So can we ask you, uh, when you choose music, what, I mean, what have you been listening to recently? Just, just curious, uh, yet another music question, but still um, out of curiosity. Yeah, that's funny because it's kind of related maybe to what we were speaking about before, but I think right now, because I've been so busy, I went back to kind of comfort music and like a comfort uh, soundtrack for me or album for me is um, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. But it's, it's funny, it's something my dad would play when I was growing up. And I think when I get busy, it's more uh, relaxing to hear something just so deeply familiar instead of something kind of new that, that distracts your mind. And that is one of those sort of immersive records where you can play it and just let it circle back to the beginning and then play it. It just feels like I mean, at that particular moment in recording history, people were trying to make important statements and really crafted albums and every track matters. A little different moment right now where I think a lot of the streaming services are driving what people put out into the world. So why edit anything? It's all about the number of listens you get. So now we live in a moment where it's not uncommon, 20, 30 plus tracks on the record. Um, I do miss that curated moment where like, 
if Pink Floyd put it on a record, it was there very intentionally uh, to the to the record. Yeah, I agree, and that's why I have a record player and buy older records because I appreciate having to listen to them in order because someone spent a lot of time creating that and curating that, um, and I want to I want to hear hear that full creation. Well, you think about bands that have aesthetics to them, Pink Floyd with Hypnosis and all the album covers that they did through the years. Um, my hunch, uh, this might be a music fan question, but my hunch is uh, if you just showed people, you know, three or four Pink Floyd records, be able to recognize quite a few of them without any sort of name or album title on them. The Dark Side record, the Wall record, Wish You Were Here. I mean, these are like iconic, famous, famous records. Absolutely. Yeah, that picture of the man on fire um, is pretty iconic. I actually have pictures of David Gilmour up on my inspiration board. I just loved everything that he, he wore. Um, even like, even when they're performing and they're in the Pompeii live, and I think they're only wearing like pants or something. Just the way that they wore the clothes, I, I also find inspiring. Well, this is um, maybe a surprise to you. This is a second mention of David Gilmore here on the podcast. Uh, our Dean, Scott Beardsley, also a big Floyd fan uh, and mentioned uh, David Gilmore. I think live record when he came on uh, almost a year ago, it feels like since uh, his conversation. Um, but we'll talk, we'll talk Pink Floyd with people any, anytime here <laughs> on the admissions podcast. So um, what's, uh, so, all right. So how, you know, has Darden been helpful to you in terms of exploring your entrepreneurial idea? Um, you know, we think about resources, we think about classes, community. How has Darden helped you along, along this journey? It's amazing how supportive um, each individual I've met has been. Um, I think I've had a very unique experience being part of Section J in that my experience was able to start months before I actually started classes. So I was assigned, you know, my second year career coach um, alongside the August starts. And that was a, a game changer for me. My second year career coach, Alex Zaretta, who was a fellow E-Cup winner, um, just like totally embraced me and got on board and started keying me in to the Darden entrepreneurship community. So I was able to kind of connect and meet people last August before I got here and started and one of the biggest and most important um, players in that was Damon DeVito, who's a professor. He teaches a second year course, Venture Velocity, um, which I hope to take next year. And he has been like the biggest support um, to lean on. So he, he started working with me um, to accelerate and to act and to get this going um, before I started classes. And it, it's funny because I thought like, oh, well, I need to, I need to come to Darden. I need to learn how to do it. Like I'll do it, I guess, next year because then I'll like have learned something. And that was like um, the exact opposite of my experience, which is that they, they had me here because I had something and they were going to push me to start immediately because um, there's no, of course, there's no time like the present, but there's a finite amount of time that we are able to be at Darden and mine is even a little bit shorter than the norm. So we really hit the ground running. Um, and it's, it's interesting in the sense that the whole entrepreneurship community, there are most, so many founders and there's no uh, competition, it's collaboration. And every person I've met has been 
helpful in one way or another. And hopefully I'm, I've been able to kind of key in and, and help them get going too. But I think just being here and, and working on very different types of ventures, but all in the same place has been like endlessly inspiring. Yeah. How has that community been helpful to you? I mean, sometimes people think, gosh, well, is it, you know, we get a lot of questions about culture and, and, and what Darden is like. We talk about it being a collaborative place, but um, it's always helpful to hear, hear stories. Um, so what does that look like for you? It has been, you know, one of the like pillars of our classroom experience um, is assume positive intent. And that is what I found in um, even like social interactions as well. It's like so all encompassing within like the Darden culture, which has been um, really, really an amazing experience. It's, it's quite different maybe than um, the industry I was in previously. But, you know, the the culture of, of collaboration really came into play with um, something we call the KPI Club, which is a group of female founders. And we meet biweekly, uh, first years and second years. It was formed um, in the fall after our first pitch competition last, I believe it was like August, um, by Megan Nash, who was another E-Cup winner. Um, and it's been an amazing community where we keep each other fully accountable from like, you know, the most um, supportive way, but we, we don't let each other slide on, on our goals and our, our ambition um, and try and help introduce, you know, if you can't solve this problem, like, let me try and find the person that can and like, let's, let's solve it together. So what does KPI Club stand for? What's the KPI? So that's a key performance indicator. Um, and I, I did not know that before coming here. <laughs> um, but we set a goal for, for ourselves, our venture, one to two big rocks that we need to, to tackle each, um, each week and um, kind of set out the ways in which we think we're going to be able to accomplish that. And then the KPI part is the accountability where we, we show up to the group and we, you know, we admit what did we do well on, what, where did we succeed and, and where did we fail and where we failed, what, what can we do about it? And like where we succeeded, what did we do to get, to get there and get over that rock? I imagine some weeks are better than other weeks or are they all great weeks? Um, how does that go? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a nice balance to have, you know, six, uh, women in the room together because you, the ebb and flow, we never match up at the same time who, who's uh, had a great week and who has a bad one. So we, we are able to, I guess, keep each other in check in that, in that regard because the entrepreneurship uh, journey for me has been very high and, and very low, of course, because it's, um, it's hard to get started. But I think when you see the, the women around you, if you've had a bad week, and, you know, Meredith sitting next to you had a great week. It, it really inspires you to keep going and make the next week your success. I really like that idea that like everybody's success is, well, everybody's success, right? Um, you're all there supporting each other. Um, so you mentioned this idea of like just getting started. Um, was that intimidating? Was that, did that make you, make you nervous sort of pursuing your idea? Was that exciting? I wonder, wonder how that felt. I, I was really scared that it would be a lie not, not to admit. And I think in my first meeting with Damon, he asked me, he was like, what's the most important thing that you can do to make this real? And what are you most afraid of? And it was that thing that I was most afraid of 
that he made me do first. And so I was, I was like so afraid to reach out to these fabric mills and have um, kind of have the whole business plan fall apart if the fabric, if I wasn't able to get it, because it wasn't necessarily an easy ask in the sense that it's not, it's not something they had sold before. And so I was so afraid to do it. And he set me that task on like a Tuesday and I, he talked me through, you know, the best way to approach it. And by the Thursday it was done. And I was like, okay, if, if I started with the scariest thing, the thing I thought wasn't going to be possible and we already achieved it. Now I, now every time I hit like a small bump, I I know that it's going to be something we can, we can keep, you know, going through because we did the hardest thing first. What great advice to start with the scariest thing or the hardest thing first. It's probably the thing that we would all be inclined to do last. Um, but man, that must have been like an incredible feeling to say, I just, I just did this. Uh, I had, and it probably had to feel affirming for your business, right? Your business really depends on the idea that you can, re, you can use these fabrics that are going unused, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It was kind of the most important part. And um, to know that that is something we were able to achieve, then, you know, for all the other smaller things that have been difficult, um, we know, you know, I've known basically that, that all those small difficulties are worth it because uh, we're able, we're able to make it real and make value from it. Great value. Well, what's, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? Whew. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to Q3. Um, I think that I, I've loved the, the core classes because every single class has been like learning a new foreign language. I've been so unfamiliar with, with every subject or, you know, previously unfamiliar, now very familiar. Um, and I'm really looking forward to Q3. We're going to get into um, operations, which is going to be fun. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this summer. I'm going to be taking part in the VPX squared um, accelerator program through Batten. So I'm super, super excited about that. All good stuff. Uh, we had Jason Brewster on here um, not so long ago talking about VPX squared. Of course, uh, Alex Zaretta also on the podcast talking about uh, Zalance and what he is up to there. So um, I will say, and our listeners know this, like I am super passionate about this particular conversation because I think Darden has such a rich story around entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship related resources. So um, if you had a piece of advice, Elizabeth, you might share with our listeners, um, what, what would that be? I think I'll have to play off of Damon's advice and go back even before to even the application. And I, I was kind of scared to even apply because I, I, uh, I knew how important it was going to be. And I, I think just, you know, go for it. Try, try it, try it out. Go for the thing that scares you the most because, you know, once, once you accomplish it, everything else is just gravy, as they say. I think that is good advice for applicants out there. Do the hard, hard thing first. Uh, push yourself in that way. Because you, you never know what you'll what you'll find out. I guess all of it is part of a discovery process. I mean, that's I've picked up. I probably know enough about entrepreneurship now to be dangerous in a cocktail conversation. Um, <laughs> but part of this is about just the discovery aspect of what you're doing. It's iterative. Um, it is. That's part of effectuation. Um, 
which is an amazing framework to, to think of entrepreneurship through, but also just, just life and your decision-making through, um, which is something you know, we dig in deep to here at Darden. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Good luck this summer with VPX Squared. You'll have to come back on the podcast and tell us how things, things are going, but stay safe and be well. And thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And that was my interview with Elizabeth Blankenship, a first-year student in our full-time MBA class of 2022. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.